You're listening to the Mr. Sensational Kino Vega Podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. What's up, everybody? It's me. It's me. It's Gino B. Mr. Sensational Gino Vega coming to you with episode 31 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Folks, I'm sad to announce that our Uniqlo's sponsorship, it was only a three-show deal and it has since expired. So we are on the lookout for new corporate sponsorship for the podcast. Corporate sponsors that are out there listening, please contact me at Sensational Vega on Twitter. In other news, we've got something really bizarre happening at the outset of this episode 31. And that bizarre happening is the fact that I'm actually recording seated at a desk in the center of my living room here at Sensational Manor using a desktop computer This particular desktop computer, using it for the first time since we purchased it as a family. Because, folks, I am here entirely by myself in the manor. Something that is not a common occurrence in the year 2021, at least so far. But yes, both uh, children, Miss Sensational 1 and Miss Sensational 2, are at their respective schools today um, having in-person classes and Ms. S is working from her office. So I've got the manor to myself. Uh, no hiding in a closet with a laptop and a microphone. No sneaking into someone else's room. I am right out here in the open for all to hear. Which means I guess I have to figure out what I'm actually going to talk about today. Um, first things first. I've got a little ruminating to do. On the subject of balance. Well, actually not on the subject of balance, but balance as a segue into the subject of literalism and... What's the opposite? Uh, Figuratism? That's not really a word. Literal and figurative? I don't know. Who knows? But the point being, when you look at all of the various strange issues gripping the world today, and I use the term the world loosely, the world that I see from my own vantage point, which is generally an American world, at least based on this slice of Americana that I am privy to, and the uh, anecdotal things I hear and and news accounts I read. In any case, uh, when you look at the strange issues gripping my window to the world, feels like um, we're suffering from a significant problem of balance. People are obsessed with existing in the extremes and uh, extreme behavior, extreme ideologies, uh, just wanton extremism that, at least from where I sit, is not a particularly um, useful, helpful, or productive way of engaging the world, engaging it from the margins of the extreme. Um, And you can see this in many cases, but I've been noticing this problem of balance, or rather imbalance, a lot um, in my online life when I engage in social media, when I read articles online, when I read commentary on articles, for sure, the the meta, meta commentary online, there is a very strange imbalance 
when it comes to people being able to apprehend what is meant to be taken literally, what is not meant to be taken literally, what things people choose to take literally, etc. And I'll give you a few examples. Um, example number one, a couple weekends ago now, I believe it was, there is a fighting promotion known as Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships, BKFC. And BKFC promotes essentially boxing matches without boxing gloves. Um, so uh, it's marketed, you know, with this idea that it's it's the most savage fighting you'll ever see. But I, the on the flip side, they, they try to say that it's actually not as dangerous as boxing or MMA because since the combatants are not wearing gloves, they are unable to hit each other as hard as one would be able to in a gloved combat sport. And you'll see a lot of cuts and blood, but these are superficial wounds. In any case, it, it's, a, it's bloody bare-knuckled boxing, usually with low-skill boxers or older mixed martial arts fighters that can't necessarily do the kind of high-level, uh, multi-discipline fighting that is uh, part and parcel to top-level MMA, but they're still able to go in there and, and take a few swings at another fool. Um, with their bare hands. Anyway, point being, BKFC ran the show. I didn't watch the show, um, but they ran a big pay-per-view event, and the woman that won the main event fight on this show gave a very cringe-worthy promo, promo being the, the combat sports uh, term for when someone uh, essentially gives an interview after a fight. When they're trying to hype up what they did in the fight, what they have coming next, and this woman, uh, I believe her name is Britton Hart, she had a line where she was something like, you know, guys, I just want you to know, I'm not actually a person. I'm a feeling. And pretty soon, you're all going to be feeling me. Because she's going to just be knocking fools out right and left. Considered kind of a low-rent, uh, uh, cringy promo. Excuse me. But famed MMA journalist Ariel Helwani uh, was joking around on Twitter and was talking about how this promo was just like one of the best promos in the entire history of combat sports. He was making a lot of jokes about not being a person, being a feeling, et cetera, et cetera. Obvious to anyone with just a modicum of reading comprehension, a modicum of critical thinking. You don't even need critical thinking skills, just, just basic reasoning skills. If you have any, if you know enough about Ariel Hawani to be looking at his tweets, you should be able to understand this was sarcasm, this was humor, this was parody. But some of the tweets that he made about it were instantly met with people like, how could you possibly say this is a good promo? What were you watching? What's wrong with you? Just outrage. The masses taking this obvious statement made in jest, literally. But this happens all the time. I only give you the Ariel Hawani uh, example uh, j just as a case in point, but I, I see this kind of stuff constantly and not even with celebrities. I see it with people I know, uh, just posting on Facebook, like, uh, you know, uh, sure is raiding cats and dogs today. And then you get people, what are you talking about? It's not physically possible for rain to exist as cats and dogs, but just this absurd crippling level of literalism that I see out in the world on a daily basis. And I don't understand where this comes from. I don't understand um, how one could exist apprehending 
obviously figurative things, literally. I understand that every so often, you know, something's going to be lost in translation. Something isn't read right or doesn't doesn't have the tone that the, the author intended. But for the most part, I feel like so many of these that I see could be avoided. Now, you might say, Gino V, big whoop. Who cares? What does it matter if people take things literally or not? And point would be taken. I mean, nine out of ten times, it probably doesn't matter. But at the same time, because of this strange imbalance towards the literal, towards um, taking things literally, towards the inability to perceive figurative language, I feel like this goes hand in hand with a lot of the warped mutantism um, that is also taking place in the world in which we live today. Um, the strange acquiescence to authoritarian forces, the belief in absurd conspiracy theories, the uh, taking of misinformation, no questions asked. These are all byproducts of literal thinking. And I leave you with one interesting story that I heard on this topic over the weekend. I had a long weekend, a four-day weekend here at the Manor. But I was listening to an episode of the podcast, This American Life. I don't usually listen to This American Life, but when I do, it's because someone else that in the car that I'm a passenger of is listening to it while they're driving. That's how I came upon this episode. But this episode, I only heard the, the tail end, but essentially they were chronicling, um, I guess he's, he's a radio, is he a radio personality? Alex Jones, InfoWars Alex Jones. Um, YouTube personality, I don't know. Anyway. The story was about Alex Jones and about how part of Alex Jones' gimmick, part of his shtick, part of his persona, something that, again, I, over the years, used to enjoy listening to people like Alex Jones. I never listened to Alex Jones per se, but when I was young, for instance, I used to listen to right-wing conservative uh, talk radio personality Michael Savage. He had this show, The Savage Nation, emanating from a radio station right here in the Bay Area. I used to listen to him not because I took him literally, um, but because... I liked his voice and I liked his storytelling and um, found it entertaining. It was funny to laugh at some of the absurd things he would say. This was before this sort of uh, propagandist right-wing radio had been going on long enough that I realized it was actually incredibly harmful to our community, to our society, to our country. And now in 2021, it's hard for me to listen to something like that um, and not, uh, I mean, I still wouldn't take it literally myself, but when I see the damage that it's caused, it's hard for me to listen to it for the lols, you know, but in any case, I do understand the appeal of, of listening to absurd voices on the radio. I mean, look at what I'm doing here on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots radio network. But, uh, in ca the case of Alex Jones, this episode was looking at how part of his gimmick is claiming this untrue biographical information about himself. Uh, something, I don't even remember the details, but he claims that when he was a child or when he was a teenager in Texas, he had to abruptly leave the town he was in because he was exposing corruption in the local police department and some people were trying to beat him up and his family had to flee. But, um, the episode of This American Life was interviewing some of his, some people that knew him at that time who were all contradicting this story and, um, exposing the fact that this was all entirely fabricated on the part of Alex Jones. Like none of this biographical stuff actually happened. I think if I remember correctly, and, and please excuse me if I'm wrong, because the, the details aren't the point here. It's the gist, but I think it was something like he was actually bullying people. So a group of guys beat him up and then his family left town. 
whatever. In any case, his biographical information was false, part of his gimmick, part of his shtick, which actually I don't have a problem with. That's kind of the funny thing. I mean, the the This American Life people seem very uh, up in arms that this personality would create a false biography. But I am a firm believer in the don't let the facts get in the way of a good story um, philosophy. But here's the problem. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story when we understand that it is a story for entertainment purposes. It is the entertainment portion of the program. But the problem is when we let this literalism go so far, people are taking these entertaining stories and turning it into something that they should not be, something that causes very clear and present danger and harm. So in the case of Alex Jones, what was fascinating is they're interviewing these fellow Texan age contemporaries of him who, um, oh, that, that that's that's total BS what he was saying. That's not true. That's not true at all. But then when the host asked them what they thought about the fantastical conspiracies and the the right-wing propaganda that Jones now spews as a radio personality, on that hand, his age contemporaries and peers from back in the day were like, well, you know, well, that stuff's probably true because you never know. It might be true. The absolute disconnect of being not just being confronted with the fact that a carny is just a full-on grifter, liar, BS artist, but but that you've witnessed this firsthand about him. You grew up, you know the truth, yet you are still such a literalist that because he's now a personality on the radio, you take everything else he says as gospel? That's insane. That's the kind of thinking that somehow needs to end in this world. But it probably won't. But I made for a bit here on the Mr. Sensational Gina Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Folks, last episode, we talked some McDonald's. We talked chicken McNuggets with Mighty Hot Sauce, spicy chicken McNuggets. Um, I got some feedback on that episode. I had also mentioned uh, McDonald's orange drink and how when I went to purchase one, after a long time away from McDonald's, it was not what I remembered. Uh, a couple things. First of all, it was pointed out to me, and now when I think back on what I saw on the ordering board, it all makes sense. What I actually ordered and received from McDonald's a few weeks ago was Fanta orange soda, hence the carbonated nature of the beverage. Nothing wrong with Fanta orange soda. I'm, I'm a big proponent of orange soda in general. I've always been a fan, and Fanta is high up there on the list of orange sodas that I enjoy. If I recall correctly, there used to be a poster floating around. I might have even had this poster at one point. Um, definitely an image, but, but I've seen it on a poster. Of mem- bass player of the Sex Pistols punk rock band Sid Vicious holding a can of Fanta orange soda. So I always thought kind of favorably of Fanta based on that image. But I also, Fanta, it was definitely up there in my pantheon of orange sodas. I believe that pantheon, that personal pantheon of orange sodas for me, uh, 2021 version, because this would be uh, different at different points in time, points in my life. But as of as of this moment in time on episode 31 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, ah, orange soda pantheon's gotta go. Henry Weinhardt's orange and cream, you know, 50-50 style soda. I guess that counts as an orange soda, right? Haritos Mandarin orange soda. Sunkissed orange soda. Fanta orange soda. 
And again, just because one of these is lower down the rung does not mean... These are these are grouped close together. These rungs are incredibly close together. What would come after Fanta? Um, slice, but I don't think that exists anymore. Slice. Um, was there some sort of Minute Maid orange soda? Because be if there was, and I feel like there was, that's down at the bottom. That's the lowest rung. But that, just off the top of my head, without any research materials... Um, available to me at the moment. That is my orange soda pantheon. Uh, but blowing all of those away is the actual McDonald's orange drink, which I believe, ha- it, I, I'm not sure if it has not been out of circulation entirely for McDonald's or from some stores, but it certainly was not available when I went the other day. What that is, is that's more of a flat high C orange beverage, as was uh, uh, brought to my attention by listeners and all kind of made sense to me after I heard this. But also coinciding with the last episode of the podcast, it appears that McDonald's is bringing the high C orange drink back to at least some locations. So I'm going to have to keep my eyes peeled for that. And I'm going to have to try to get in on some high C orange drink. Um, I drank quite a bit of high C orange drink many moons ago when I was a young person on tour with my band, The Invalids. The, the biggest tour we ever did. We did a few smaller ones, but we did a main one that kind of went out through a good chunk of the United States. But on that tour, I drank a lot of orange drink from the various McDonald's that we would stop at in the tour van. Uh, I also drank a lot of um, lemon ice Gatorade, lemon ice flavored Gatorade. And that is a flavor that I believe no longer exists, last I checked. But that lemon ice Gatorade... Um, Brings back a lot of memories. If I could find a bottle of lemon ice, that'd be that, that'd be kind of nice. Lemon ice, just treat me nice. I'm a rapper. I bet you didn't uh, know it. Uh, that doesn't work, huh? Well, that career's done. Anyway, uh, back to beverages. Oh, one other beverage thought I had really quickly. Is it just me or is Hawaiian Punch not really in the mix anymore? I was, I was at a convenience store a while back and I was trying to get a soda. And I had a fancy for Hawaiian punch or some variant of fruit punch and I didn't see it at all and I've checked a couple different times since then and I have not seen it in various 7-elevens or convenience stores I've been in talking like the Hawaiian punch with a little guy um on the front you know the blue and white and red packaging there was that I used to drink a lot of that I used to drink Tahitian treat I wasn't seeing any of that at um at the store uh, I actually got into a dust-up with a, a law enforcement officer once over Tahitian Street. I uh, arrived late at a huge house party that uh, I was going to attend. Back when I worked at United Artists Cinema 6 with none other than Icy Robots, where I met Icy Robots, is one day some friends of mine uh, were having a house party at this house they lived in, kind of right outside of downtown Santa Rosa. It was starting early. Uh, I was rushing to get off work, but I had to work, uh, too late to kind of miss the jumping off point of the party, uh, hopped on my bike, was racing over there as fast as I could. Um, one of the highlights of this party is, um, two brothers that, uh, I was friends with growing up in high school, uh, the Denauer brothers. Um, they had had an impromptu boxing match at a previous party and it got over so well with the crowd that um, it was determined that there was going to be uh, a rematch at this party, Denauer versus Denauer 2. 
and I was trying to get there in time for Denauer versus Denauer 2. I only managed to get there in time to see one Denauer brother kind of staggering down this big Main Street, 4th Street in Santa Rosa, with uh, just blood pouring down his face onto a white t-shirt. Uh, and I realized I had missed Denauer versus Denauer 2. But when I got to the house proper, uh, there were police there. The One of the residents of the house was arguing, argumentative with police and running around outside. So he was arrested and taken to jail. Uh, the police were kind of swarming around trying to get into the house. And I was sort of standing near the entrance of the house to see what was going on. Um, I had not even had the, the, the time to even consider, consider enjoying an alcoholic beverage at this party. Couldn't have even considered it. Um, but most of these people were underage or right on the cusp of 21. So the police were looking out for people that were uh, drinking or have their containers outside. I was drinking a bottle of Tahitian treat and an officer approached me, demanded to know what I was drinking, held up the bottle. I told him, my friend, I'm drinking Tahitian treat. And his response was, why are you telling me that? A common issue with uh, the law enforcement community. They often give a belligerent uh, directive or question. And if they don't receive, they either then follow that up with a, a, a contradicting belligerent directive, or if they, the, the answer isn't like, well, officer, I'm uh, smoking crack and I'm carrying all these illegal substances and weapons. Would you like to see if you just tell them something like, oh, it's just Tahitian treat. Then they got mad that they asked in the first place. Very strange, very strange. But uh, um, Hawaiian punch, Tahitian treat and fruit punch. Um, they're not really sodas cause they're not carbonated, right? They're, they have the more that flat, uh, characteristic that high C orange drink has, but the, these fruit punch beverages, uh, is it just me? Or are they not in the same kind of circulation that they used to be inquiring minds that like to drink beverages would like to know. All right, folks, I said there were going to be two topics discussed on this episode. Last episode, one was, uh, some thoughts after finishing the original run of Larry Hama G.I. Joe comics. The other was a top list of Mr. Sensational Gino Vega's favorite fast food franchises. We're going to punt G.I. Joe to next week. We're going to close it out here today with the fast food franchise countdown. I think this is the first countdown, first top whatever list thing that we've done on the show so far. So we're going to kick it off a little something like this. Mr. Sensational Gino Vega does not always eat fast food. But when he does, he has a pretty defined list of establishments that he likes to go to. We're gonna ask that please folks, please friends, let's have this be a judgment-free zone. Um, sometimes when I like to kick it and uh, talk about fast food, I get some um, pious pushback about how fast food's bad for you, fast food's bad for the environment, fast food's bad for the economy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're neither here nor there. Don't get it twisted. Don't get literal. Not eating fast food 24-7 or anything. But when I do, I am prone to the following establishments, which I'm not going to break down in any kind of um, numerical order. I guess these are kind of an order of preference, sort of, but I'm far too disorganized to do a full-blown top five, top ten. I think it's going to be like eight places I throw out there anyway. So whatever. Let's start off with a place known as Burger King. Now, to be totally fair, I haven't actually had Burger King in longer even than McDonald's. I haven't had Burger King in decades, probably. But I've got to throw it out there because Burger King did play a foundational role in my fast food beginnings. When I was a teenager, when I was in my earliest forays into playing in a punk rock band, 
Uh, said band would often stop by Burger King to get fast food en route to practicing at our bass player's parents' home in Santa Rosa, California. There was also Burger King in the mall downtown, and so I, I would hit that up sometimes. Uh, Burger King, I don't have any really lasting memories of the food. I do remember that at the time that I frequented Burger King, they had something called chicken tenders. I don't think they have that anymore. I think the last I checked, they've moved to more of a nuggets format, but chicken tenders were kind of like, sort of like nuggets, but more like chicken fingers. I would get those. I would also get, they had something known as a two for two deal, where for $2, one could get, I think it was like two small fries and two little hamburgers. And I, when I would hang out downtown and go to the mall, I'd always get the two for two because I didn't have a lot of money at the time. And it was like $2 for some fast food and the remaining $3 for a pack of basics or GPC cigarettes at the tinderbox in the mall that would sell to under 18 year olds. Final note on Burger King. Um, Stop at Burger King and route to uh, my punk rock band, The Invalids, recording session for our first full-length CD recording, Out of My Head, which was released, recorded and released sometime around uh, maybe 1996. But we stopped at a Burger King on the way uh, to do the recording, and uh, there was a guy in line in front of us, and the guy was very irate and wanted the individual working behind the counter to make sure that his burger was well done. To which the individual behind the counter informed the irate customer, sir, all of our burgers are well done. You can't buy one that ain't. That turned into a, uh, I guess a meme in the, in the pre-internet days of memes, a, a verbal meme between me and the other band members to the point where on that recording, there's a little Easter egg somewhere where you can hear me laughing hysterically and talking about, you can't buy one that ain't. Because folks, all our burgers are well done. You can't buy one that ain't. Uh, moving right along. Um, I was getting tongue twisted, figuring out which one I wanted to put up next in the ranking here, but I think I think next on the list, we're gonna talk about a place known as Taco Bell. Now Taco Bell uh, seems to inspire almost a sort of fanaticism among its most dedicated adherents. I know a friend, know a guy that I grew up with named Broiler. And Broiler is pretty much obsessed with Taco Bell to the point that he's got Taco Bell tattoos. He worked at a Taco Bell for a while just so he could have easier access to the food. I'm not at that level with Taco Bell, but I get it. I do get it. I've just never, um, I think when I was young and in my most formative years for um, fast food, when I was a kid, Taco Bell did not appeal to me because I thought I didn't like quote unquote Mexican food. So I was more prone to like fries and stuff like that. And Taco Bell did not have fries. Uh, so I didn't come to Taco Bell till later in the game. Uh, my first forays into Taco Bell, because again, I was still, I, I hadn't quite come into my own culinarily speaking and was still skeptical about so-called Mexican food. Um, my initial forays into Taco Bell were like my earliest experimentations with drinking um, in high school and ordering uh, just uh, the really cheap, like 99 cent bean burritos as a uh, drunken late night food due to their long uh, hours, long open drive through. 
So start with the bean burrito, never became really a regular hardcore Taco Bell eater, but I will hit up Taco Bell from time to time and every time I do, I enjoy Taco Bell. I think one of the lingering problems for me with Taco Bell because I never became fully indoctrinated, uh, I'm a little overwhelmed by the menu. Like I'll get up there at the drive-thru to order and there's just so much stuff, I don't know what to order. So I end up with my staple of a couple of crunchy tacos and a steak quesadilla. I need to branch out, man. I need to, I need to find my way in the world of gorditos, chalupas, and what have you, but I just haven't gotten there yet. Part of the problem too is of um, my two children, my oldest, Miss One is following my footsteps and is not really feeling the Taco Bell where my younger child, Miss Two, is all about the Taco Bell. So generally if I'm getting fast food with the kids, it has to be a situation where I'm just with two and not with one and two. That doesn't happen super often, but we will see. More Taco Bell in the future, maybe we'll move up the list. Moving right along, it's time to revisit McDonald's. McDonald's was my spot. Used to jack them folks in the drive-thru for their Nissan trucks. Or used to jack them folks for the Nissan trucks right in the drive-thru. I don't know, something like that. Wasn't that, wasn't that like an ice cube bit with some more colorful language that I'm using? I don't know. I think it was. Uh, McDonald's, we talked about it quite a bit last week. I just ate it for the first time recently. But McDonald's memories, man. McDonald's. Um, for a child born of the 70s and growing up, having their childhood through the 1980s, McDonald's was such a icon of that childhood. And it became even more so for me when I was about five years old. We, uh, our family, which at the time was just my parents and me, moved from uh, the large city of San Francisco, California to the very small town of Atascadero, California. Atascadero being about four hours more southward of San Francisco. Uh, part of San Luis Obispo County, uh, if you're familiar, if you've ever heard of San Luis Obispo. Uh, but yeah, small town, but, and so it, it was a, a culture shock. Even only being five, I was aware of, of how different my life had become moving from San Francisco, a city that I'd become very accustomed to, to this much different place at Tascadero. But the upside was we moved into this little development of townhomes and, um, Right out of my bedroom window, I could see across this sort of patch of undeveloped land into the uh, neighboring McDonald's restaurant, which was the first one I'd ever seen to feature a playland. I could see this from my house. I, I could literally go out our backyard and walk to it. At five years old, that was something else. And I did spend quite a bit of time in that McDonald's. That was, you know, in the in the day when folks would actually, you know, Dine in at fast food restaurants. Like I, can't, I did. I don't know that that McDonald's even had a drive-through back then. Um, yeah, because I remember there was a Taco Bell in Atascadero too, and it was like a walk-in joint. There was no drive-through. So eating at that Atascadero McDonald's, that that was like an eat-in affair. <laughs> it was like we were going out to dinner. We're going to McDonald's. And uh, I remember one time when I was a kid, I was in there, and there was a man in a suit dining with this young couple that were also all dressed up and no place to go. I guess they did have some place to go because they were in the McDonald's dining room. But he was talking about all this weird stuff. And in retrospect, thinking back, I remember when he was saying he was basically like some Christian marriage counselor. <laughs> and there he was in the Atascadero McDonald's counseling some young wayward couple into uh, 
coming back to the Lord, coming back to the way of being married under the Lord Jesus Christ. So God bless that couple. I hope they're doing well out there wherever they are. I imagine they're not so young anymore because, hey, neither am I. But yeah, McDonald's for me was all about uh, French fries. Some of the best fries going, even to this day. Love McDonald's French fries. French fries, orange drink, chicken made nuggets, filet o fish Those were my jams at McDonald's. Own oh, the ice cream cones when I could pull that off. Or the cookies. Didn't they have cookies? I seem to remember they have cookies. McDonald's also had that whole parallel thing with just never before, since, or during has another fast food franchise created such a deep mythology as uh, McDonald's did with the Ronald McDonald, Grimace, the Hamburglar, etc., etc. So McDonald's, while not at the top of the list, is well there for me. It, it, it's, it's it's foundational. It's, it's We've got the uh, Burger King, what I say, uh, Taco Bell is like the subfloor. McDonald's were at the foundation. Moving on up, i got to throw a little controversy warning, a little trigger warning out there for the sensitive among us. Uh, we're going to talk next about a place known as Chick-fil-A. <laughs> now, Chick-fil-A existed many moons ago in the uh, Santa Rosa downtown mall in the food court that was there when I was really young. And then eventually that food court got remodeled and a lot of the businesses changed. And I think it went away. But I always knew of them as this strange religious fast food place because they were always closed on Sundays. And that holds to this day. I think the franchise is some kind of evangelical Christian outfit. Um, well, not the franchise, but the company. And it, it, it's, it's a franchise run uh, chain. But uh, And they're all closed on Sundays. Uh, many years later, a new franchise opened in Santa Rosa, kind of near where the junior college is, near where the record store is. And... It's, I, I say it's controversial for the fact that living in Northern California, there is often a certain amount of stigma and shame and probably well-deserved around um, uh, patronizing flagrantly right-wing, flagrantly anti-human businesses. And Chick-fil-A has a reputation. I think that the original owner uh, was very uh, anti-gay people, I believe. And the company is known for... Uh, giving money to like conversion therapy and, and really dubious, really iffy stuff like that. Um, so generally, th there's sort of an idea among my set that one probably shouldn't go to Chick-fil-A, but this one does sometimes. Now and again, it's happened. I mean, it, pretty much any big company that you're giving money to, it's going to some ill stuff. And, and I probably shouldn't go to Chick-fil-A, but hey, it's kind of good. I kind of like it. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I like the, the chicken strips. I like the chicken sandwich. I like, I had this uh, chicken like biscuit breakfast thing there a while back. Again, don't worry folks. I go like maybe once every other year, but I have been known to go. I do think that the food is quality. I Hopefully they're not still contributing anything too weird, but if they are, you know, how, how does it go? I made a G today, but you made it in a sleazy way. Selling chicken to the kids. Huh? Well, that's the way it is. Uh, moving on to uh, another, I think, um, fundamentalist <coughs> Christian business. Um, but this one doesn't get any shade that I ever hear. So maybe they're like good. Maybe they're kind Christians. Um, this is uh, in and out Burger. in and out Burger for the uninitiated is a California chain 
um, that is quite popular in the region, but is of such high quality that I don't believe that they're capable of expanding much out of the area just due to the way that they source and store their uh, beef supply, if I understand correctly. Uh, they may have other areas outside of California, but a very limited fast food chain as far as geographical coverage. But um, In-N-Out is kind of iconic. It began in Southern California, if I understand correctly. Um, eventually made its way up here to Northern California, where it's now as uh, equally ubiquitous. A lot of uh, famous folk associate arriving in California with picking up some In-N-Out burger. I know... Uh, Food personality Anthony Bourdain used to talk about doing that. Um, Nintendo Luminary, the creator of uh, such icons as Mario and uh, uh, the Legend of Zelda franchise, Shigeru Miyamoto, he has been known to pick up uh, in and out upon arriving in the United States, arriving in California. Um, in and out is weird. It's interesting. Um... In a sense, I think it's overrated, but at the same time, it earns its rating. It's high on my list, but it's high on a lot of people's lists. It's not the most exciting fast food. It's not really um, as like grotesque and sinful as some fast food endeavors can be, but it, it's its wholesome pureness that makes it simultaneously kind of boring, but also what makes it so good. It's, it's very clean, pure Americana fast food, burgers, fries, not the same layer of like chemical flavor and uh, just additives that, you've, that you could feel oozing out of something like McDonald's, which don't get me wrong, that's enjoyable in its own way. Um, In-N-Out's a very sanitized version of the fast food experience and really harkens to the actual like 1950s purity that uh, more mainstream fast food is kind of a parody of. So again, that can make it uh, great, but it'll also make it be like, ah, I kind of wish I was eating uh, a few of the other places we're going to talk about in a second instead. So that's why I can't say it's right at the tippy top of my list, but I can say I do enjoy in and out every time I consume it. I usually just go for a cheeseburger, fries, used to get a shake, but as I try to embrace health later in life and I realize just what, you know, I don't know, not to be weird because I, I don't like uh, really getting on the limiting food intake talk, but just for me personally, when I looked at the, um, the stats on a shake, I realized it was something that I don't really need in my life at this point in time, but their shakes, they're, they're shakes again, like their shakes are good, but they're not like as good as like just like a gnarly you know, McFlurry or something, but in their own way, they're much better, but they're not as good. I don't know. Does that make sense? Does that resonate with anyone out there? Does anyone feel the same way? Um, that's in and out moving from in and out. We get to the final three. We move on now to Jack in the box at Jack in the box to me is when I was talking about grotesque, sinful fast food, they are the king in that regard. Jack in the Box is pretty gnarly. It's pretty over the top. It's pretty decadent and disgusting, but that's part of why I love it so. I, more often than not, um, I don't think I've ever had Jack in the Box 100% sober and never before like eight o'clock at night. It's definitely like a late night go-to for me after being at like a you know, sporting event, a wrestling show, playing a show when I used to be in bands. Um, Maybe you had a, had a few cold ones, a little buzz, your designated sober designated driver's taking you through the drive-thru, and uh, you pick up 
a uh, 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 what are they called? Oh, the sourdough jack. That's my that's my jam. The sourdough jack. Oh, just that disgusting, buttery, artificial-tasting sourdough bun. The 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 low-quality bacon. The kind of gristly patty. And then like the, I'd get the seasoned curly fries and just you could just feel like the, the you're just inhaling this bizarre mix of the organic and the chemical with no one, no man, woman, child or other should be consuming. Yet here you are consuming it in your semi altered state and the, the grease is soaking up all the toxins in your body and it's restoring you back back to life. You're back to you're ready to go for more a few more rounds that night as you continue to hit the town for the post party. That's Jack of the Box. God, this episode's going really long. I apologize, folks. We're almost out of here. Uh, Carl's Jr. Carl's Jr. is next on my list. Carl's Jr. is at the tippy top of my personal fast food pantheon. It's one that I didn't have a lot of exposure to as a youth. Uh, I know that's not the same for some others out there. Shout out to Jerry from The Last Record Store. I know he worked at a Carl's Jr. in his youth. And from what I understand, ate there quite a bit. Um, I got into Carl's Jr. later in the game. And I have to admit, part of it was me due to me being a mark for this commercial they had. And uh, the commercial involved these sort of grotesque dudes, these rich guys. I mean, are they like the Maloof brothers? I think uh, they own casinos maybe, and I think they maybe they used to own the, the uh, was it the Warriors? I don't know, some California sports team. I think they're the Maloof brothers. Anyway, in this commercial, these rich dudes who own a casino are, uh, it's playing some like, how lucky can one guy be? You know, that uh, type of Rat Pack music. And um, they are hanging out at their casino and it's advertising how Carl's Jr. has this like $9,999 value meal where you get a Carl's Jr. burger, fries, and then they go next door from the casino to some expensive fancy wine shop and bring you back basically like a $9,900 or 90 bottle. I don't know, whatever bottle of wine. So it's haha, get at the joke. Like the value meal is like the $5 of the price and the rest is the bottle of wine. And they're all sitting around uh, these like gross, uh, belligerent rich guys. Uh, just chomping down some Carl's Jr. drinking the wine. I don't know. For some reason, that strangely appealed to me. And so I was like, you know, I ought to get some Carl's Jr. That just seems so decadent and rewarding. And so uh, I became a big fan of the Western Bacon Cheeseburger from Carl's Jr. with the uh, uh, onion rings on a, on a burger with some bacon. And it's not particularly, it, it's always like way better in theory than it is in practice. It's not that good. But I just get kind of a kick out of getting it. And every time I'm, I'm biting into one of those, I hear in my mind, how lucky can one guy be? And I, I'm eating this like substandard burger and drinking this ill soda. And I pretend the soda is like expensive wine. I don't know. Uh, a peek into the mind of Mr. Sensational. I, I was at the height of doing this when I was working full time and still living in Santa Rosa. I would get Carl's Jr. for lunch maybe uh, at least like three times a week, four times a week. I was like a peak unhealth. And I would get Carl's Jr. and I would eat it and I would uh, hear the how lucky can one guy be and I'd pretend I was drinking expensive wine and I would eat it while watching Bar Rescue. And then I would uh, like pass out for 20 minutes and wake back up and finish my work day. Into the mind of Mr. Sensational. I have not had Carl's Jr. I think I've only had it once since I moved to Napa. It's just not the same anymore. But it's, it's up there for me just due to that phase. We are going to close it out here at long last, put this this agonizing episode to its overindulged, inflated end. We're going to end it with my current top fast food franchise. 
that I would probably partake quite a bit more of, but we don't have one in Napa. So I only go there occasionally when I'm in Santa Rosa. And that is Five Guys. Now, Five Guys, isn't it like an East Coast thing? And then it suddenly made its way out here. I don't know. It showed up in Santa Rosa. It seems like recently. It was probably like 10 years ago now. But Five Guys doesn't have a drive-thru. Five Guys is a walk-in restaurant, kind of going for that 50s dinery vibe. And it hits a lot of the notes that I mentioned with In-N-Out Burger with a little more decadence. So it's still, it's it's elevated beyond like a McDonald's or, or even a little bit better than that burger. But it's got a little bit more of the sin and the grotesque. Like you can get... Uh, like I get jalapenos on my burger, bacon, cheese, uh, a lot of more over-the-top toppings, grilled mushrooms, uh, hot sauce, stuff that the In-N-Out Burger just doesn't go there. You get, get a little more of the, the feeling like you're getting away with something with Five Guys, but a higher quality of uh, meal than you would get from, say, a Jack of the Box or a Carl's Jr. So with that, I'd have to say where I'm at in my life right now, Five Guys hits that perfect fast food pinnacle for me. Not the gnarliest food in the world, not the purest. I uh, feel like I'm getting away with something, but I'm still feeling like I'm eating food and not um, an alien substance. Folks, thanks for bearing with me for this overindulgent supersize episode. I will be back next week. We will finally talk about some G.I. Joe then. Until then, I hope you enjoy your own fast food, health food, or whatever point in between out there. I'm going to go have some tofu and soba noodles for dinner now. Uh, I'll talk to you next week. Until then, it's me, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, signing off on the IC Robots Radio Network. Food, folks, and fun. Want to come and sing my new song? Food, folks, and fun. Food, folks, and fun. You know the one McDonald's for food, folks, and fun.